People were really interested to learn about our history through food. I realized that food is such an interesting access point to learn about our past. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, me searchers. You are listening to the Me Search podcast. And we are your hosts. My name is Dustin Domingo. And I am Crystal Tugatti. <laughs> On this show, we have critical, messy, and fun conversations with each other, with friends, and with leaders in the community. Uh, together, we'll unpack important issues, learn, and unlearn what we think we know about what it means to be Filipino. So, y'all, today we're talking about food. Yes, mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love that. <laughs> We're talking about food and how it is a reflection of our history as Filipinos. But before we start, in the spirit of Filipino history, I just want to give a quick shout out and happy birthday to my dad. Happy um, birthday, Papa Tagadi. Yes, he is not with us anymore, um, but I just wanted to... Um, give him his roses because uh, I'm just, you know, remembering all the stories that I've heard about him and how he was here for the people, how he brought so much joy to everyone's life. Um, and he had a radio show and now what? we have a podcast. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. He had a radio show talking about the community and how we need to uplift the youth. That's my oh dad, y'all. <laughs> so it's um it's an honor today to be, oh no, I'm gonna get emotional. Um and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's an honor to be following in his footsteps, even though I've never tangibly seen those footsteps. Um, it's very cool how we work through one another, through life, through this existence. I didn't, I didn't know that that was like a fun fact about your dad and yes. how you're like pretty much following in his footsteps. That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, my heart is very full and, um, we're celebrating. I bought my mom, um, she already made Bunsit at home, but we got her some mango cake and we ordered some Bunsit. Because that's what you do. You celebrate with food, right? And this yes. is what we're talking about today. So I just thought it, I thought it was a really cool segue that there is history and there's so much tradition in our food. So we are going to talk to Rachel Lucero, the mind behind a video series online called The Sogo Show. And um if you need to take a pause, y'all, to go to YouTube and subscribe to her channel now, please go do that because it's amazing. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, Rachel. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. And I'm I'm so happy to celebrate your dad's <sighs> birthday recording. Yes, we're so happy that you're here with us and we're going to celebrate and we're going to chat, chat, chat food. And I'm so yeah, this excited. is a moment. This is a vibe. A vibe a that vibe. we will uh, save on the interwebs and celebrate for years to come. Yes. So, Rachel, give us a little bit of background. Give our listeners a little bit of background on The Sago Show. We know that you share video tutorials on 
various Filipino recipes, but why did you start this uh, this project and what do viewers get from the Sago Show that might be different from other content creators? Yeah, so I created the Sago Show two and a half years ago and the show is all about connections between Filipino food and history and also identity. And when I started it, it was honestly kind of just a personal project kind of it it honestly documents my learnings over time over the last few years that I've learned about Filipino food and Filipino history but I think that as I saw that people were really interested to learn about our history through food I realized that food is such an interesting access point to learn about our past um, I mean, I think on a surface level, we all love food. Filipinos love our food. Um, it's it's a source of comfort. It's a way that we celebrate. And so I think we all have that connection with food. And it, I find that through my show and the topics that I go through, um, like some of the episodes that I've done are my mini pies episode where I do a mini buko pie. I talk about the coming of American teachers to the Philippines in the early 1900s and the type of um, education that they they brought and instilled in um, in Filipinos. And another more recent episode, I talked about uh, Spanish colonization um, while I make bistec. So I think that it's an interesting access point because it allows you to really like investigate this one topic and also like make a connection with something really personal to you, like these recipes that we've grown up with. And that's such a good point that food is like the perfect access point to learn about things and also to get people excited about learning things because literally everybody eats. So why not make it a moment? <laughs> yes. No, that's a great point. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's so interesting like thinking about just any dish like how did this come together like who thought of putting cheese on bread you know it's like what was who thought of that or like you know who thought of the mexican pizza at taco bell i don't know it's like <laughs> uh, why are things the way that they are and it's i want to know that yeah i would love to know that how did that happen um but yeah it's 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 cool to kind of dissect it in that way. So, yeah. I think that people are naturally curious too. Um, I think that the topics that I talk about on the Sago show tend to push a little bit, mm -hmm. which is interesting because when I, when I first envisioned the show, I honestly, my initial concept was like fun facts kind of popping up in the corner of the screen, mm -hmm. kind of like I would see growing up on like Food Network. Mm -hmm. And as I did more research, I really saw these like very kind of at times very insidious personal connections between our colonial history and and the food that I would literally like just have such strong memories of growing up. And so I try in my show to really push us to think critically about these histories. And it's not just something in the past, but something that affects who we are today, affects the conditions in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's kind of my goal for the show and for my viewers is to really think critically about food. 
I um I loved your episode about Caldereta and oh my goodness. I was like okay, so y'all need to check out this this video, first of all, and all of them. But it was fascinating to learn how uh canned foods became such a commodity in the Philippines and how that became it. And, and and I think about like, yeah, we grew up eating corned beef. We grew up eating spam. Like that is a staple in Filipino homes. But knowing that there is like this history being colonized by the U.S. and um, having canned foods as such a um, a highbrow item at first is like really fascinating. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how I I would have never thought that's how canned food was introduced in the Philippines through our colonizers. Rachel, can you speak to that a little bit more? Like for the folks who haven't seen that particular video, can you elaborate on the history that folks need to know about canned foods? Yeah. So in my episode about Cadereta, I talk about um, this kind of presence of processed foods in Filipino food, like it's very interesting. When I look at some old cookbooks that my mom has, the recipes will even call out specific brands of like condensed milk or evaporated mm-hmm. milk um, or these cans of of corned beef or cocktail fruit or fruit cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, and that episode talks about how because of American colonization, there was this, you know, import of all of these canned foods that became something that was really desirable because of the the American settlers and colonizers. That was what they wanted to eat because they didn't want to eat our food. So they ate their canned food. And because of that power dynamic, it became something that people wanted to eat. Um, I talked earlier about American teachers in the Philippines. And something that was really interesting that I learned was that they had this home economics class and it's in these classes they talk a lot about hygiene and cleanliness and how these fresh fruits that you are eating no that's not that's not actually healthy it's more healthy if you have our canned imported fruits and when you like really think like why are they doing that it's you go back to the fact that the U.S. interest in having the Philippines as a colony is that we are there to buy things that they are producing. And so then you have this presence of canned foods and and processed foods in our diet. Wow. And that's something that's still a thing today. And that it sounds like that's been a thing for a very long time. And that it, it reminds me of a, a point that you made a moment ago about how something to the effect of our history that all of what we're talking about in the videos that you've made so far um, is about history, but history still happens today. I'm curious if there's any moments or any like current events that you feel like folks need to know about or things that you've brought up in recent videos pertaining to current events. Yeah. So, and it's interesting that you ask this because, you know, when I started this show, almost three years ago, I was really thinking about the history and past as this like really disconnected thing Mm -hmm. from me, Rachel, and the current conditions that Philams live in and that Filipinos in the Philippines live in. And throughout 
creating the series, it has really led me to um, connect these things that happened hundreds of years ago to why are the economic conditions in the Philippines so poor? And why are so many of us displaced? So I think that, you know, something that's really, I think, a hot topic right now and something that Filipinos should be aware of is the fact that Bongbong Marcos is a president in the Philippines right now. And for those of us who um, whose parents or um, who immigrated in the 70s, 80s, and 90s were likely here because of martial law and because of the economic conditions that occurred after martial law. And many of us with families still in the Philippines, I think, should be very concerned about the conditions and the economic state right now. I think if we look up the the value of the Philippine peso right now, it's it's very, very bad. I think the worst in a long time. So I think that it's something that we should definitely be paying attention to, especially as Filipinos that live in the U.S. Wow. We're living in history, y'all. Yeah. Wild. And it's... It's scary. Um, but it's... Yeah, like you said, we must be aware. It's it's so interesting how passive we can be with our food sometimes. And not... Because I, I don't think I've ever thought about, like, the presence of canned foods in my pantry like in the way in in this way until like I came across your video and it's just it's just like even even down to like our everyday foods it's just a reminder of how we are not free yet you know as a people back home I that makes me think of just like the idea of food as this source of comfort to us as Filipinos in the diaspora. Right. Um, and by no, by no means am I saying like, don't eat canned food. Like sure. I love, I love spam. I always have spam in my pantry. I always have corned beef. Um, but something I really think about is that food is, has been this source of comfort for, for us, for our parents, um, for our family members. And we have all been displaced due to this like compounding effect of imperialism and and colonialism dating back hundreds of years ago and then to uh, 150 years ago with America and the Philippines and then more recently the corruption that's happened in the last few decades in the Philippines. But I think about like us Filipino Americans in the diaspora, we're just craving that, we're seeking that comfort in our food because we have been displaced, because our parents had to come here, perhaps because of um, seeking a better economic condition. Um, And that's a state that has been caused by different events in history and more recent events that have led to this state where our families don't have a choice but to leave and to send money back. And so I don't mean to like romanticize food, but it really is this way that we become comforted and this way that we can feel connected to our home um, because we have been displaced. (sighs) 
Have you, I guess, prior to the Sogo show, would you consider yourself or are you a chef or a home cook? Like what was, what was your relationship to food prior to this project? I 100% did not consider myself to be a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hated cooking, actually. Um, when I was like 22, 23, I really resisted cooking. And I thought that every time that I tried to make chicken adobo, it just turned out horribly wrong or just did not turn out the way that I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And so I always just wanted to have whatever my parents made. And then, you know, during the pandemic, I couldn't, I don't, I don't live um, in the same state as my parents. So I wasn't able to have my parents home cooking. And so I really wanted to make sure that I could cook all of the recipes um, myself. And I have like these memories of early pandemic, I was FaceTiming my mom. um, And like showing her the consistency of all of the sauces that I was making. (sighs) And yeah, so I definitely didn't consider myself a chef before, but I've definitely improved, which is something that I connect with my viewers on a lot. I think that people have told me that they also have this fear of cooking, partially driven by the fact that you feel like you can't make it as good as your family makes it. So why try? But I'm happy that through my videos, if someone can just have that access to make their favorite dish at home if they can't get home Mm -hmm. or if they just want to be able to make it on their own that they're able to do that. Mm. Yeah, I will say your videos are very, very in itself, very comforting. It's, it's such a vibe. I, I'm very joyful when I watch it and it's like a warm hug. Um, How close are your dishes to your parents? (laughs) Not super close. There are recipes that are um, inspired by recipe cards that my family has. Uh But a lot of this I've cooked, um, you know, in the pandemic, I haven't been able to cook a lot alongside my parents. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a lot of remote. It's been a lot of distance learning for me. (laughs) So I I did go home one time and I cooked a bunch of things for my parents Uh and they were like, oh, this is good. So I thought, okay, good. This is a good like check-in point for me. I'm not doing things totally wrong. But I think, yeah, my parents would say they're pretty far from from what they make. It is so hard to get it just like theirs. Like I don't I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. It's like I will well, I don't know. I guess I haven't really tried like recipe recipe cards, but I'm going off like memory and seeing what like my family did i tried to debunk my tita nancy's um famous you know filipino spaghetti of course she had her own her own thing but it was the best spaghetti and uh one thanksgiving i was like i'm just gonna make everything filipino and um i made i tried to my my tita nancy also passed away and I was like, oh, I I wish I knew how she made it exactly because I, it was the best. But I feel like I came really close just by like remembering. Ah, she would take the sugar and hold the whole sugar, um, tinister like this, and she would go like this. So I just mimicked that. <laughs> I feel like somehow it worked. 
<laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when I think back to when my parents cook or if I see like my aunts or uncles cook, they don't use recipe cards per se, but like they just make everything from like they eyeball a lot of things or they use like measurements of of things around the house that aren't like precise, like tablespoon, teaspoon, cups, or like millimeters or milliliters or whatever. Like they're just like, ah, I have this random spoon that I use and I'm just, I know I need to have like two or three spoonfuls of this random spoon, but I don't know what amount this actually is. I know there's so much intuitive cooking. I was yeah. like, how do you learn that? <laughs> Process, uh- man. I I love that this is an opportunity for you to make connections with your family. It's not just about like learning the history, but it's also about like building the community and like strengthening the relationships that you have with people through your computer, with your family remotely. It's very sweet. I love that. You know, I, I recently just did a video about Ukoi because I had this memory of making ukoi with my titas in the Philippines. And there was something just so kind of sad and poetic about how I was trying to recreate this ukoi. And my mom had told me, you're not using the right shrimps even. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm just like standing in my kitchen alone, trying to just figure out, okay, how trying to remember how they did it. And yeah, I just, I felt imbued with this sense of sadness that I was separated from from my family in the Philippines. I think to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, intuitive cooking and trying to figure out things without the exact measurements. I wonder if our parents did that too, or whoever in our family came here first, they also had to remember how to make things. Mm just from just from their memory and taste and they also didn't even have the same access to the the same ingredients that you have in the Philippines and so it's interesting when we talk about like you know even what we impress on ourselves like oh it doesn't taste like what my mom made I wonder did our parents say that same thing and like just that yearning of trying to recreate something from your memory and you don't have the ability or the the same exact ingredients or environment to do that. Oh my God, oh my that gosh. is poetic. Are you a, an author or like a writer outside of this? Like, what do you do? No, I, I'm not. I just cook and have sad girl thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh it. God. I love it. Do, so speaking of recreating things and like things may not be perfect. It's, it sounds like a lot of insecurity that a lot of people have if they are not comfortable with cooking themselves. So having gone through this process of learning and growing with your uh, expertise in cooking since the pandemic started, what might you recommend to a new cook as far as something that is either easy to learn or something that they should learn because this is a staple in our, in our culture? You know, when I think about the answer to this question, I I immediately flash back to these times where I was in places where I just really had no access to an Asian store. And uh, like I used to live in Wisconsin and there was 
no Asian market in sight. And so I would try to just cook things that I could, I could source the ingredients from a regular grocery store. And we're really lucky that we can make adobo with just regular ingredients mm. from the grocery store. Um, like I remember being out there, I'm trying to make sinigang. There's no sinigang packet in sight. Um, yeah, it was hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I know gosh. it hurt. It hurt. I should have smuggled them back. Like I should have just like packed my suitcase full of <laughs> yeah. sinigang packets. I think that uh, like ginitaang vegetables, um, ginitaang kalabasa, tzitao, or even ginitaang manok with chicken mm. is a really um, simple dish that I think that anyone can make. And luckily, most stores have coconut milk. Ugh. I am new to the ginitaang uh, adobo. Like, I did not know that was a thing until a few years ago and it blew my mind <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea do you um what is do you know the history of like why there is coconut in is it like a region thing in the philippines why um there's some like some adobo that has coconut yeah and it also blew my mind by the way Oh my and god, tell us. So tasty. Oh, it's so tasty. It's so it's good. I was like, well, I've been missing this. I know. All my life. I know. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we joke and say, like, oh, our no one makes adobo as good as your mom. Uh-huh. And you know, when we look at the different regions in the Philippines, there's a lot of different preparations of this dish with the same ingredients. Um, and I do think that the coconut milk adobo is common like around Bicol where there's a lot of coconut milk in in the dishes like Bicol Express for example or the ginitaang vegetables um and there is like this a lot of coconut trees that grow there so I think that that the the environmental aspect definitely plays into the the different ingredients in these regional dishes Oh my gosh. So even like in even in Filipino dishes, there's so much diversity in the food. Yes, 100%. Wow. And wow. If we've mostly been exposed to what food our parents made, it's probably coming from like one or two regions. And so there's this whole this whole world that I I really don't even know that I'm excited to explore. Oh my god, that just makes me think of how like when I eat my mom's food, and I and then I go to perhaps like another restaurant and I eat their food. I'm like, okay, this doesn't taste to me. I feel I, I associate <laughs> like my parents cooking with like what is authentic, uh. and they're like the measurement of like what is good Filipino food. Because like for example, like karakara, like my mom always like packs that with beef. But at some restaurants, it's like they're really stingy. It seems, but I don't know if that's like a regional thing. <laughs> I feel like. I feel like we Filipinos are really picky that way. (laughs) (laughs) I do that too, though. But yeah, it's just because I think that there's a lot of regional variances to the dishes. And so exactly what you're saying, you might go to a restaurant and it just tastes a a bit different. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes so much sense now. I need to stop giving uh, restaurants a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) Like people have definitely messaged me and they're like, why did you put sugar in adobo? You don't put sugar in adobo. 
I feel like I you don't put sugar a, in adobo. I that's do. my dramatic reading of their message, but that's what I imagine they were saying. <laughs> my gosh, that's so funny. Is there a way, because I love how we're diving into like these discussions of, you know, history and, you know, politics um, by way of food. Um, how do you think that food can further the conversation into action? Is there a way that that can happen, you think? Definitely. And I think that's that's my motivation, <laughs> my mm. secret motivation with my show is that I just want to plant these seeds to get to get Philams or Filipinos in the diaspora thinking about these pieces of history that play into the conditions to today. Um, like I said, I do believe that people are naturally curious and want to know the history behind things or know why something is the way it is. And I think that when people understand the, the these pieces of the puzzle and put them together, that we have this kapwa and like we want to look out for each other and, and make our conditions better, whether that's like in our own community or and or in the Philippines. So I I hope that what my videos do is just incept incept a little bit of that curiosity and that people will um I don't know like have this consciousness about about these connections between history and and why we are Filipinos in the diaspora. Love that. Thanks for planting the seeds. Yes. And on that, thank you for joining us, Rachel. Thank you so much. This was so fun. This was amazing. I um, can't wait to see more videos from you. Um, me searchers, thank you for being here as well. Y'all, this was Rachel Lucero. Rachel Lucero. <laughs> and then thank, thank you for, once again, uh, follow Rachel and her work at Sago Show. That's S-A-G-O Show. And don't forget, be a researcher yourself. Follow us at Mesearch Podcast and check us out online at mesearchpodcast.com. We're going to get to the bottom of things. This is Mesearch, folks. Yeah. Hello.